Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to NDC. I'm Joey Dotson. I'm one of the pastors here. I used to live in Houston, and when I was there a long, long time ago, I heard a story about a young man who was looking for a job. He just turned 16, and he wanted some money because he wanted a new car. And he found out that there was an opening at the local zoo. He liked animals. He thought the Houston Zoo was cool. So he applied, and he got an interview. He was very excited, but when he got to the interview, something really shady and weird was going on. The very first step of the interview was to sign an NDA. Um, whatever was going to happen next, he could not tell anyone under the hand of the law. He thought it was a bit weird, but he really was needed a job, so he signed the NDA, and they took him to this little back room, and very hush-hush began to explain to him that the gorilla of the zoo had died. And they needed a new gorilla, um, but they didn't have time, and so they wanted this teenage boy to dress up like a gorilla until they could get a new gorilla to replace the old gorilla. He had the same response as you, but the money was good, and all he had to do was sit at the back of a cage. And as a teenager, he was really good at just sitting and doing nothing, so that really fit his vibe. So he agreed, and they brought in this gorilla costume, and he put it on, and it was amazing. He looked just like a gorilla, spitting image of a gorilla. And so he was okay with it. They took him to the cage, and he took a position at the back of the cage, and he sat there. After a while, he got bored, however, and he decided to walk around a little bit. And when he began to walk around, there were some people that saw him and like, began to wave at the gorilla. And one kid began to throw peanuts at him. Not only are teenagers really good at just sitting and doing nothing, but they're also really good at eating. And he realized, as the side of peanuts, that he was kind of hungry. And so he began to eat the peanuts and uh, began to move around even more to get more peanuts. And so the more he began to play like a gorilla, the more peanuts began to be thrown at him. And so he began to do this, and then all of a sudden a group of teenage girls uh, come by, and he really wanted to impress them. And so he climbed up a tree and began to make gorilla noises. The girls were pleased and began to clap, and other people began to throw more peanuts. And so playing to the crowd, uh, the, the man in the monkey suit grabbed a hold of a vine, and he swung from one end of the cage to the other. And as he swung again, the crowds went crazy. And so continuing to play to the crowd, he got higher and higher and higher. As he got higher and higher and higher, the crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger, as did the piles of peanuts. But all of a sudden, when he was at his highest peak, snap, the vine broke. And the dude in the monkey suit swung up and out of his cage into the cage next door, the lion's cage. Standing 20 feet from this teenager in a monkey suit, stood a hungry and ferocious lion. He began to panic. Help, help, get me out of here. I'm not really a, a monkey. I'm just a man in a monkey suit. Help. About that time, the lion pounced. And as it held the boy down with its massive claws and looked at it with its hungry eyes, it said, man, will you shut up? You're going to get us both fired. <laughs> you know, often what's on the outside is not a true reflection of who we are on the inside. This is especially the case when we're around religious people. We pretend to be something that we're not. And what we are on the outside is really more of an outfit, a monkey suit, a costume, rather than who we are at the core. And one thing that we understand about the gospel is that Jesus Christ did not come just to give us a new outfit. He didn't come just to clean up our current costume. Instead, he came that we might be transformed from the inside out. Now, be sure to know this, that God loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. 
And God loves you just the way that you are. But he loves you so much that he's not willing for you to stay the same that you are. And rather than giving you a new costume or cleaning up your religious areas, he wants to give you a new heart, a new spirit. And this is the essence of what Jeremiah calls the new covenant. So that's what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles or grab your phones and want to scroll um, to Jeremiah 31, this is a passage that we're going to be focused in as we continue our series on the Gospels. And as you're scrolling and getting distracted by your text, uh, let me give a little bit of background uh, to Jeremiah 31. Because to understand this passage, you really have to go way, way, way back uh, to Egypt um, and to Moses um, and then to David. And so the introduction of this sermon will be a little bit longer than usual, but uh, allow me to kind of geek out because We'll come back and unpack it a bit more. But going back, for those of you who are reading the Bible through the year with us, um, you might remember back in Deuteronomy, Moses' last words. as He kind of gives the remix. Um, At the end, he gives the law, and then he tells Israel, despite this beautiful law that um, God has given us, you're going to fail. You're not going to be able to fulfill it. To the point that Moses even gives them a song. He's like, I'm going to teach you a song, and this song is going to get stuck inside your head. And the song is going to say that you're going, God's giving you his word, God's blessing you, but you're going to disobey him. And because you continue to disobey him over and 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 over again, finally God's going to say, enough. And he's going to hand you over into exile. But there's good news. There's hope. In the Hebrew text, Moses puts it like this. You'll get knocked down, but you'll get up again. They're never going to keep you down. You'll get, well, actually, let me read the NIV translation of that verse. This is uh, Exodus chapter 30. Sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors, and you will take possessions of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. And here we go. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and live. Moses says there's going to be a really tough time. And after that tough time, you're going to go to exile. But God is going to have this new plan. He's going to circumcise your heart. He's going to give you hope and a future. So hold, keep that in mind. Um, I've designed this, and we'll come back and explain it a bit later. But now let's kind of fast forward to David. If you remember King David, he was really great at establishing the kingdom, pretty bad at establishing character in his kids. And so David, um, who had moral failures after moral failures, um, ends up having Solomon that takes over after him, and Solomon was worse than his dad. Yeah, 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 Solomon made the great temple, and the Spirit of God came down, the Shekinah glory filled the temple. But Solomon goes on, if you remember, as you've been reading the Bible with us, to make other temples, um, to build other temples for other gods, and becomes known, becomes known as really as a tyrant. And so when Solomon dies, his uh, son uh, Rehoboam, I call him Rebo, uh, decides to take over. And he's like, if you think my dad was bad, just wait till you see. Um, I am BA. I- I'm coming and I'm going to be the, the real king. And at this point, uh, the kingdom splits. So Israel goes up to the north. That becomes the north side. And then you have Judah in the south side. And you, as we read through the kings, you remember this story. Israel had evil king after evil king after evil king. And so finally, the Assyrians come in and they destroy the Israelites. They end up becoming the Samaritans. We'll talk about that when we get to the New Testament. But the south side, um, Judah, uh, remains a bit more faithful. And so rather than being destroyed by the Assyrians, they live to die another day. Um, they, they live to be destroyed another day. Not by the Assyrians, however, but by 
the biggest villains of the Bible, the Voldemorts of Scripture, um, the big, bad Babylonians. And this is where Jeremiah comes in. And for you Harry Potter fans that are out there, um, in a sense, Jeremiah is a lot like Dumbledore. He is warning that evil is knock, knock, knocking on the door. The Babylonians are here, but no one seems to be listening. No one seems to care. And so Jeremiah is begging and pleading for their sympathy, letting them know, please turn around. Please return to your Lord, to, to return to the Lord, or the Babylonians are going to open up a can of whoop, wrath on you. Seemingly the whole time Jeremiah is saying this, he knows, he's confident that the people are not going to repent. As Norton shared last week, um, they continue to drink water from these broken cisterns rather than coming to the living water of life that the Lord offers. Rather than turning and finding their way and going back to the Lord, they're continuing to wander uh, lost on this hiking trail. And so Jeremiah, most of his letter is of him weeping and warning, and it's really doom and gloom and sad. But like Moses, there's a message of hope. And in Jeremiah 31 through 33 is where we have the heart of that hope. Um, And the heart of his letter is this message of hope. And the heart of that message of hope is the passage that we want to look at today, Jeremiah 31, verse 33. Let me read it for us. It'll also be on the screen here. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray that your word will come with power, great conviction, and the Holy Spirit. God, to renew our minds, to take our hearts of stone and make them hearts that beat and belong to you. Lord, let your spirit just dwell and speak to us. Let my words fall to the ground, but let your words uh, penetrate our hearts and and make us into the people you've called us to be. It is in Christ's name and by the spirit that we pray. Amen. Before we move on, for those of you who have not heard me preach before, let me give three quick pre-qualifications. The first of which is I have ADHD. And uh, because of that, there are times where I get really distracted. Um, It also causes me to speak very quickly, Um, I'm doing my best to kind of slow that down, but especially when I get excited or nervous. Um, The the second qualification is that I'm a Bible geek. I love the Bible. I love to get down into the Hebrew and the Greek weeds. So that's your nerd warning. Um, And the third one is that um, this this message is new. Uh, I I was supposed to preach today, but the sermon I was going to preach today has been bumped to next Sunday. And so hopefully you like your sermons like Gollum likes his rabbits, um, raw and wriggly, um, because that's how this will be today. But what I want to do is just kind of take this uh, bit by bit and verse by verse. So keep your Bibles open or keep your eyes on the screen as we continue to go through this. Um, And so uh, we we have here uh, God coming to declare. So we've had darkness, gloom, warning, and then all of a sudden, Jeremiah says, stop, collaborate and listen. The Lord has another declaration. And this declaration is this, that I am going to make a covenant. God's going to cut this new covenant with Israel. And what we'll find out is that this new covenant, even though it's going to be a new covenant, it's not a new concept. So as we saw with Moses, this new covenant is not a new concept because Moses had even talked about it at the beginning. 
way, way, way back before. And he comes, and this is the declaration of the Lord, that he's going to make a new covenant with the people of Israel, that after those days of the exile, he's going to do a whole new thing. And no longer is it going to be external, but now it's going to be in your heart. No longer is it going to be on tablets, but now it's going to be in your brains. No longer is it going to be something that's out there in a temple, but the Spirit of God is going to dwell inside of you. And so whereas Moses is going to come and use a little bit more crude humor, the external love, no longer is the circumcision of your flesh. Um, now the circumcision is going to be internal of your heart. Jeremiah doesn't go crude, although Jeremiah is not beyond being crude. But instead, he says, rather than the tablets being written out there, the tablets are going to be written on your mind. Now, this word mind can be translated uh, one, or different way, one or two different ways. And some of your translations may read the Lord saying, um, this is what I declare. God saying, hey, this is important. I'm going to declare this, that I will put my word in you rather than in your mind. And if this is the case, then there's not a distinction between mind and heart that we'll talk about in a moment. Um, if it's the phrase just in you, then in you and heart are synonymous. They're meaning the same thing. Here it's Jeremiah wanting us to say that this is no monkey suit. This is no external religion. This is the Lord's word in you. In fact, in the original Hebrew construction, uh, he, he makes it almost sound like a Yoda talk. Um, he uses, whereas ours reads, I will put... Or write my uh, words on your mind uh, and in your heart, um, I will put them. Uh, in the original text, it goes like this I will write my words in you, and in your heart, it I will put on. And so you have the verbs at the outside. It's, it's like ABBA, not ABBA, the music group, but um, ABBA, and that the A and the A represents the verbs of what God is going to do. He's going to put and he's going to write. But what's in the middle is kind of the, <clears throat> the emphasis, the, the rhetorical pelvic thrust, if you will, um, that it's going to be in you. So in you and in your heart is that great, great promise that uh, all of your religious experience in the past has been external. It's been you going to the temple. It's been you getting a snip snip after eight days. Um, It's been uh, you having these external calendar dates and uh, going to the temple for sacrifice. But now Jeremiah is begging and pleading and uh, weeping for the people to understand that in this new covenant, he's clapping his hands, he's screaming, now the word of God is going to be inside of you. And so this could be the emphasis that Jeremiah is wanting to bring out um, here, that now it is written on your heart um, in this beautiful picture. So, and we see that this is not just Jeremiah. Um, Many of you probably heard of Jesus as well. Um, When Jesus gets ready to give his greatest hit, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he's drawing a lot on this Jeremiah chapter 31 passage. Um, In fact, he's going to come and say, all the religious that you know so far, the religion you know is more that external religion But I've come to give a new covenant religion, an internal one, to the point that he gives a warning. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the the big shots of the day, unless your righteousness surpasses them, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, we've probably heard this before, so it doesn't surprise us to hear this. But the original audience would be like, what are you talking about, Willis? Or what? Um, wait, wait, wait a second. Uh, there's no one that is more righteous than the Pharisees. But what Jesus is saying is that, no, no, no. Their righteousness is external. It's outward. Um, Jesus will end up kind of opening up a can of whoop wrath on the Pharisees later on. If you remember in Matthew, this says they're nothing but whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they're really, really pretty. Um, but on the inside, 
they're dead. Or they're like a person whose cup on the outside is clean, but the inside, it's all dirty. Some of you have uh, toddlers for children, and you ever have that one uh, juice bottle uh, that gets stuck in your car and you discover it like three days, three weeks, three months later, right? And the outside looks fine, but you open it up, and you know, um, this is what Jesus says about um, the righteousness of the Pharisees. On the outside, it's beautiful, it's perfect, but on the inside, it's dead. And so Jesus gives that warning and says, no, no, I've come to give this new covenant where it's about what you do in your heart. It's about your intentions. The Apostle Paul also is going to draw on this in Romans chapter 2, his greatest hit, um, where he's going to come and say, hey, let me tell you what separates the people of God from those who are not the people of God. It's that the people of God give evidence that the word of God is written on their hearts This is our identifying marker that it is in our mind. It is inside of us. One of my sons, when we did live in Houston, uh, wanted to play soccer. And uh, the closest soccer organization to us was this uh, fun, fair, positive soccer. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it before, but it's one of those things where um, it it has a lot of rules. And they want to make sure that everything is perfectly fair so every kid plays the exact same amount of time. Uh, You can't actually scream for your child good or bad. You just, and you can't even scream for your team. You have to cheer for like, go sports or like, go team. Uh, and so and, and it was fine. It was okay. Everyone gets a trophy. They don't keep score. And, and I understand the philosophy behind it. That's not the point. The point is that my son didn't get the, the time limit rule that you could only play like 10 minutes. And uh, he just drove him crazy that he just like 10 minutes and then have to sit and watch and watch and watch. And I would just see him and I felt his pain because I wanted him to be playing as well, right? And I knew I would be one to be playing. And so he'd be on the edge of the bench, just like (sighs) looking, but he found a loophole. Takes after his mom. If one of his players got hurt, and this is toddler soccer, so it happens often, right? If one of his players got hurt, then he could substitute in and get more playing time. And so one time we're watching a game and two of the toddlers, they collide and both of them are crying. And I see my son on the bench noticing his wounded partner, like his teammate, they're crying and weeping. And so I see him stand up and begin to run over to his teammate. I'm like, look at my son. He is going to show compassion and mercy and love to his fellow wounded playmate. And he comes right up to his teammate who's lying on the ground, and he leaps over him and says, coach, I'll go in, put me in, put me in. That's external religion. All of us have been at churches and places where we see people that on the outside, they look like they're coming to help us as we're hurt and as we're wounded, as we're trying to be like Christ. But in the end, they just kind of step over us, and it's about them, not about us. That's the religion that Jesus is against. That's the religion that Paul is against. That's the religion that Jeremiah is against. God has come that we do the right things for the right reasons with the right heart. This is the promise of the new covenant. And if this is the point where he's saying, I want the word of God, this is the internal, this is in you, then this is what Jeremiah is emphasizing. I do think in the original text, this is what Jeremiah is talking about, that the stress, what he wants to underscore is that now God dwells inside of you and it's a whole new religion. It's a whole new life other than anything that you have experienced. Before we move on to that, let me just kind of stop and say this. I I feel like the Spirit's leading me to say this. There's some of you in here that you've been hurt by that external religion. You've had people jump over you and wave their hand and want to get in instead. If that is you, I I apologize. I'm so sorry. And I wanted to say that 
one of the reasons that the Lord has called us here at NDC is because this is a church that doesn't want to be like that. We want it to be about you and helping you heal, not about um, our agenda, our glory. We could also translate this like the NIV does, um, the nearly infallible version, uh, that uh, Lord, the Lord wants us to put, he wants to put his law, his Torah in our minds. And I don't think Jeremiah necessarily meant it this way, but we see that the later Jewish people and the early Christians actually emphasized mind. Uh, they focused in. And so one of our earliest translations that were considered like a, a, a spiritual authoritative illustration, they don't say in you, um, they actually add in your minds. And it may be that this was influenced by the Greco-Roman philosophy of the day. Don't worry, I'm not going to geek out um, just by saying that. But uh, the Greco-Roman philosophy, it begins to influence Judaism and they begin to realize, you know what, the mind is very important. Um, and so they begin to nuance it in ways that we haven't seen previously in the Hebrew Bible. And if I had to summarize the Greco-Roman philosophy, especially with respect to moral progression of us becoming uh, who we were meant to be, it would be this. They would say that the heart loves what the mind thinks about, and the will does what the heart loves. Let me say that again a little louder for the people in the back. The, the heart loves what the mind thinks about, and the will does what the heart loves. And so for the Greco-Roman philosophers, we're going to see that they begin to focus on the mind. If we want our emotions and our will and our desires and our, our seat of, um, of, of ourselves to be changed, then it begins with our mind, and that helps us do the things that we were called to do. And so we see like Paul bringing up on this as well. So many of you are familiar with Romans chapter 12. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, let us offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Um, what you may not realize or looked at is that Paul is actually saying that therefore, in view of God's mercies, pointing back to Romans 9 through 11. If you want to guess what Romans 9 through 11 is about, it's about exactly what Isaiah is talking about. It's about Israel living under the old law when God has called them to be in this new life, in this new covenant. And so Romans 12 really takes us back to Jeremiah 31 very well. And what is he going to say? Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. I grew up memorizing this verse in Old Missionary Baptist, and so it's the King James Version, so bear with me. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind. And it could be that uh, Jeremiah or the later uh, Christians are one to emphasize that the way that we have this new religion is not just a change of inside, but it's also a change of mind. Some of you are familiar kind of with this idea that generally speaking, the Hebrew word for repent is a change of direction. So I'm going this way, this way, and then about face and go the other direction. But the Greek word is not a change of direction as much as it's a change of mind a change of attitude, a change of perspective, a change of reasoning. And so here, as we come and we see this new covenant, God is not just going to change our direction um, where we once were lost and now we're found, but he also begins to change the whole outlook, our lenses, the way that we view and understand a whole new world. And so this may be the emphasis that, um, that Jeremiah is bringing out here, that the Lord God in the new covenant is going to bring this upon us. And it's beautiful. It's exciting. Um, it's new. And so if we move from this idea where he's saying, not only am I going to put it on your mind and in you, but I'm also going to uh, put on, sorry, I will put my law on your minds and I will write it on their hearts. 
And again, this word hearts also could be taken one or two different ways. So it could be um, that it's just emphasis with respect to, I'm going to put it in you and on your heart. The idea is like comprehensively. So this word is going to be all about you. You're going to rub around in it. It's going to be your head to your toe all around. This is your identity. You're not going to know where, uh, where you begin and the Lord ends and vice versa. And so it may be that he's underscoring, underlining, highlighting that this is an internal, no longer the monkey suit, no longer the gorilla outfit, but instead it is inside of you. But it may be that here he is making this distinction or from mind and heart. So it's not a, um, a all, all of you, but just emphasizing that it's not just the way that you're going to think, but it's also going to transform your heart. And we see that this is a, 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 a recurring theme, notion in the Hebrew Bible, um, this idea of heart. And uh, Ezekiel's version of the new covenant is going to emphasize this as well. He's going to say not so much a circumcision, but instead a heart of stone, which God is going to replace. Let me read Ezekiel for you to give you his version of what Jeremiah is doing, because he's going to emphasize again the heart. This is uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Listen to verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues, and you will be careful to observe, to observe my ordinances. And so Ezekiel is going to come and see as well that the new covenant, it's not just a new mind. It's not just the Lord being inside of you, but it also is a brand new heart. We know that the heart is deceitful above all things, that our hearts, to borrow from the great uh, hymn, is we're prone to wonder, um, prone to leave the God we love. We, and so what we need is not a, a heart fix. We need a whole new heart. And again, this takes us back to Moses, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. Um, it's kind of like the John 3.16 of the Israelites. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love him with all of your heart, mind, sorry, heart and soul and strength. He wants us to come and love him with our heart. And so this idea of the new covenant, idea of the new covenant is what Moses was begging for the people at the very beginning, but is now available to us. I love it that in the Shema, it says, you shall put the word of the Lord of God on your heart, is the, probably the best way to translate that position. And one uh, student uh, came to his rabbi about the same time, a little bit after Jesus, a little bit after uh, Mo, uh, uh, Paul, um, and so around 90 AD, had come to his rabbi and ha- had just kind of a question about this. And the question is, why did Moses tell us to put God's word on our heart rather than in our heart? Good question, right? Why, why did he say on rather than in? And the rabbi looked at his young student, his Padawan, and says, well, yeah, that, that, that's a really good question. And the answer is this, is that often our hearts are so hard and solid and calloused that it's not ready to receive the word of God. And so what we do is we stack on the word of God on top of our hearts. And then when life happens, we get humiliated and our hearts break then it opens up and all the word of God that we've stacked inside of it, it falls within and it transforms us. And then the rabbi warns, but how sad is it for those who, when their heart breaks, has no word of God to fall within it. Here, what Isaiah is saying is that we've stacked this beautiful, wonderful law of Moses on top of our heart again and again and again, but our heart has, the problem is not the law, the problem is our heart's but there's coming a day where God's going to give us a brand new heart and all of the truth of scripture is going to fall in it 
and transform our hearts. He comes and says that it's about our heart, um, it's about our mind, and probably the, the last marker is, well, let's, let's do this, let's do heart, mind, and soul. We'll try to be clever uh, here. Um, so it's, it's about soul, and not, not just soul with this response of the comprehensiality of the new covenant, but soul like S-O-L-E, um, and that uh, God is our soul possession. So look at what he says, uh, we don't have verse uh, 34. In verse 34, he says this, um, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So if you're following along in your Bible, look at that verse. Um, I will be their God, and they will be my people. The Lord quotes this twice. It's a parallelism to emphasize that I'm going to be all yours, and you're going to be all mine. I'm going to be all yours, and you're going to be all mine. Again, he goes Yoda on us, and that uh, in the Hebrew text, um, it, it, it reads like this. Um, it sounds weird for us, but it shows an emphasis. Um, I will be to them a God, or I will be, a, yeah, I will be to them a God, and they will be to me a people. I will be to them a God, or God, and they will be to me the people. He gives us this ABBA pattern again in order to emphasize um, that this is solely yours, and I am solely, um, I am solely yours, and you are solely mine. I am my beloved, and He is mine. Uh, this this takes us even back to uh, the the covenant that Moses first gave, the Ten Commandments. Right? Um, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay, so some, some of the Hebrew text says before me um, in the sense that you should have no other gods that are above me would be the idea. Um, but that we, and that's, that's a natural, right? Um, another way that we could translate this uh, preposition is that there's no other, no other gods beside me, alongside of me. Another one would be is that there's no other gods after me. And so we see in Israel's history that there are times that they put other gods in front of him. In fact, during Jeremiah's time, this is the time where the Israelites are sacrificing their children to Moloch. They're putting Moloch over Yahweh. There are other times, however, where God is, there's no gods before Israel, but there's gods alongside of Israel. Um, like probably what we see in Solomon's uh, day where, yeah, you have Yahweh's temple and it's probably the best temple, but you have these other temples as well. And then often in Israel's history, there may be that God is the, the best, but there still are other gods that they're keeping kind of hidden uh, under wraps or maybe under the saddle, if you remember that story. Um, but what happens is that later on in the, the next translation, the, the Greek translation, they want to come and solidify this. Uh, that coming, a little bit coming, it was translated about the same time, uh, well, a little bit after Jeremiah, but they come and they to make it clear, you shall have another gods except me. Not above, not alongside of not after. And I think this is what Jeremiah is getting to. Um, I will be your people and you will be my people. We will be one. Uh, you are going to be the people of my soul possession. I will belong to you and you will belong to me. There will be no others. No others for me, no others for you. This takes us back to verse 32, if you're looking at your um, passage still, where his complaint against Israel is that they were unfaithful. He was like a husband, a faithful husband to them, but they, they cheated. They went off after other gods. And so here God is giving this great marital picture that we will be a soul possession together. It's a beautiful picture. And that's why we see when Jesus comes and says, hey, you know what? I will be your life. You will be one. This new covenant is that we belong to God. And God not, is not only somewhere that's out there, but instead he is within us. And we are adopted as his children. And by his spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. And that's the great news of the new covenant. Well, how do we apply this today? Well, there's many ways that we can apply this personally, but I want to take it from more of a larger 14,000 feet area, just to say that this is what we're trying to be at NDC. 
We're not trying to be the ones who jump over. We're not trying to have external religion. Our heart is to be a people that have God's word written on it. Our desire is for God to not just change um, our thoughts, but to change the way that we think. Our desire is for our religion to be true, authentic, and eternal, internal, so that we do the right things in the right ways for the right reasons. One of the themes that we've seen through uh, Jeremiah is that the evidence of the external righteousness is the lack of mishpat, the lack of social justice, um, that their hearts were hard. They acknowledged God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him, and that led them to oppress and neglect the marginalized and the oppressed. Our desire is for God to so change us from the inside out that it's not about guerrilla outfits, but instead it's about Christ within us. We're not there but we're striving to be there. And we're hoping that we can join you wherever you are in that journey to help you get closer and closer to leaning in and living the reality of the new covenant. Again, Jeremiah is full of darkness, sadness, and gloom. We'll talk about that more next week as I'm preaching. But I just want to stop and just look at the hope that he gives us that it's not just a passing phrase, like, oh yeah, there's hope. Um, I don't know if you've seen the new Lord of the Rings uh, show on Amazon, but there's a, a phrase where she says, my hope is getting meager. And he corrects her and says, hope is never meager. And this message of hope is not a meager passing uh, Hail Mary, but instead he puts it in the center of his gospel, in the center of his letter to let us know that this is how, this is what anchors everything else that I say. But so often in Jeremiah, it kind of looks like in our life, right? We look around and we can be crestfallen. We can be discouraged. We can seem like it's just nothing but darkness and infidelity and unfaithfulness and external religion. There doesn't seem to be much light. I listened to a TED Talk um, about the Golden Gate Bridge being built. And part of this TED Talk was um, the the architect talking about how they designed the Golden Gate Bridge. And they designed it so that it would be suicide-proof. But ironically, one of the historical phenomenons is that um, it ended up becoming one of the most places people come to go to commit suicide to the point that San Francisco had to get uh, their, their police task force who went through psychological, ther- uh, training to get psychological therapy training uh, to talk people literally off of the bridge. And they were interviewing in this, uh, this, well, this, this, this guy who was doing the TED Talk was one of the guys who did that, and he was telling stories about uh, this. And he said, you know, people would come from all around. There's one young man named Mark who had come from New Jersey, and this was his third time. And so the first two times, uh, Captain Smith had talked him off, off of the edge, but uh, this time he's back there, and there's Mark who once again had flown from New Jersey uh, getting ready to take his life. And so Mark had used his training that he had gotten, and he was begging and uh, reasoning and trying to talk Mark off the ledge once more. And then all of a sudden, Mark looked over at uh, Captain Smith and said, have you ever heard of Pandora's box? And Captain Smith was like, yeah. Um, just a refresher. Um, in Pandora's box, the God gives Pandora a box, and I tell her whatever she does, don't open it. It's kind of like their Genesis 3 story. But of course, curiosity gets the best of Pandora, and she opens it up. And at that point, all of the darkness and sickness and hatred and violence and um, everything that's ugly in the world comes out and begins to disseminate. But at the end of that, there's a little bitty light that comes up that follows. And that light is hope. Back to the Golden Gate Bridge, Mark looked and says, have you ever heard of Pandora's box? 
Captain Smith said, yeah. And Mark looked and said, well, what happens when you look into that box and saw darkness and you don't see any light? And at that point, he leaned, out, leaned over and took his life. There may be some of you here this morning that you've been looking around, you've been looking at your life, and all you see is darkness. All you see is hurt. All you see is pain. What Jeremiah wrote millennials ago is the message that God has for you today. There's a delight, declares the Lord, where he wants to give you a new life, a new hope, a new religion, where you will be his and, and he will be yours, and he will forgive your sins and remember, and you will have to remember the pain no more. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes um, as the band comes up, just want you to ask the Lord real quickly, what in this message has your name on it? What is it that God has designed just for you? What is it that he's wanting to just go and put it on your heart? For some, maybe you're actually like that guy in the monkey suit. Maybe you're the Pharisee, that we look at you on the outside and Man, you look so holy and righteous. You seem like you got all of your scubula together, but on the inside, you're rotten. Your heart hasn't, is not tilted toward God. God's word's not written on your mind. And the Lord's just saying, hey, let, let me replace that today. For others, maybe it's you've been on the other side of that table. You've been abused by those who are supposed to love you, who are supposed to represent God. And God just wanted you to know that, that that's not him. That's not his people. Those are, those are those who are masquerading in guerrilla outfits. And he wants you to know that just like old external religion can hurt people, God's new covenant can bring you life and it can redeem you. It can give you a hope that you're looking for. For some of you, maybe you've been on the edge, metaphorically or maybe even literally, just seeing all darkness. And God just wants you to know that there is light that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to take all of the wickedness and ugliness of Pandora's box and defeat it so that you can have new life and be members of the new covenant. Father, we thank you for your word, and we just pray that once again that it will fall upon us. Let it not be returned void, but let it produce life and righteousness and peace and justice in our lives and in our world. It's in Christ's name, by his spirit. Amen.